welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. My name is Zach Falconer-Barfield. I am the founder of The Perfect Gentleman, and alongside me, as always, is the erstwhile... James Marwood. How are you doing, Zach? I'm very well. It's, it is Good. August. It is. It's summer. Well, in England, that's, that's a variable thing. Actually, it's funny you should say that, because I went to the market this morning. I've got my other half and a lot of her family staying with us. I was in a, a short sleeve shirt and sweltering in the heat, and they had their coats on. <laughs> <laughs> They're all used to Brazilian temperatures, uh, whereas I'm used to British. I walked to the dog this morning. I was in shorts and a, and a T-shirt, timed it perfectly, came back in, the heavens opened. That's what happens. That's an English summer. Exactly. Today, uh, this week and next week, we've got a couple of different podcasts. We were shaking things up a little bit. We were 22 episodes in. Crikey. You know, we're officially an adult now. Yeah, we've reached our majority. Shake things up a bit. So we're going to do some few changes over the next uh, few weeks about like, what we do and how we do it. Same sort of format as us rambling for a bit where we have some guest contributors and uh, so on and so forth. Today, we're just going to, it's just going to be us rambling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then next week, uh, we will have a, a special podcast where we're doing a group podcast with some of our lovely contributors. But unfortunately, you can't join us, James. I can't, unfortunately. No, no, I have very needy clients who insist I'm with them at that time. I'm afraid you'll have to go on without me, which is a shame because I, I really enjoyed our last one. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We shall shoulder on around with you, but you'll be there for the next one. Indeed I will, yes. Yes, you're not getting rid of me that easily. (laughs) Uh, Before we go any further, Mm -hmm. we have to say a huge thank you. We do, yes. I have a big smile on my face, as does James, I'm sure. Yes, I do. We got our first proper fan mail. Yes, we did. A mail, actually a card from some lovely people. In the post. In the post. Yes. Made me joyously happy. So thank you, uh, Philip, Valentine, Jocelyn, Louise and Anna, for our lovely card. We greatly appreciate it it is sitting currently on my desk and it makes me smile every time i look at it it was a a fantastic card as well it's illustrations from one of the the magazines that was a forerunner of gq and i've seen the illustrations before they're used in some of the quite common in some of the menswear books a really sweet and kind thing to do so thank you thank you very much so we appreciate it wholeheartedly and um, i'm glad you like our podcasts we shall yes. keep on going, and more fan mail is always appreciated. Indeed. Uh, we yes. shall send, pop a little something, uh, a couple of gifts in the post back to you. Thank you very much indeed for that. Yes, thanks. So, what are we talking about today, James? What's on our gentlemanly news track for today? We've got some interesting stuff, but one thing I wanted to talk about was a quite an interesting article I read on one of my favourite blogs, the Put This On blog that I've mentioned quite a few times. They're talking about an episode of This American Life, which is a, a podcast, I believe, in the US, a very popular one, about L.L. Bean's returns. Do you know L.L. Bean as a brand? I know of them, yes. I mean, they're one of the grand old American trads collegiate outfitters and gentlemen's outfitters so in a similar vein to brooks brothers and that sort of thing one thing that makes ll bean specialist their returns policy basically if you don't like it if you're not satisfied bring it back right well that's very good it's almost like the way marks and spencers used to be here in the uk what was interesting was in this podcast they were talking about people buying used products in bulk and then returning them for full price so buying up piles of old parkas and shirts and boots and what have you and there was a guy mentioned in the in, in the podcast who had found a, a jacket at a second-hand store at a charity shop for ten dollars and returned it for 360 dollars in credit which is it's a bit troubling because they do things now where they ask charity stores to put a big black x on the on the label firms like that are going above and beyond you know they're not just relying on statutory rights or what the law says they're saying actually we stand behind our product we think it's really good if you're not happy we'll take care of you 
which is brilliant. I think I think more companies should do that. But unfortunately, as as, as with a sort of a, a tragedy of the commons type situation, you've got people taking advantage of it, which is a shame because it puts it at risk and it, it spoils it for the rest of us. I thought it was a really interesting article. The article that would put this on by Derek, who's one of the best writers there, one of the best men's writers on the web at the moment, actually. It's a really interesting view into both the old world good customer service meets internet thrifting modern selfishness it's kind of one of those things where you think oh hang on a second these guys are doing fantastically good customer service and yet you're taking the mickey out of it yeah for a buck and then you're going to make them stop doing fantastic customer service for everyone else who's not taking the mickey and and trying to make a quick buck therefore they're going to degrade the customer service and then everyone starts complaining about customer service again yes i had a thing with a suitcase and I don't recall the brand now. Bricks, that was the company. I broke it, basically. I broke the zip, tried to stuff too much stuff into it. I was flying a lot. The zip went and the fabric tore. Entirely my fault. I rang them up. They said, send it back to us. We'll tell you what it'll cost to fix. And I said to them, you know, if it's going to be more than this, don't worry about it. I'll just replace it. If you can repair it for, for that sort of price, I'll be really happy. And they just sent me a new case, completely brand new, and an updated design that, that's less likely to break. And I thought that that was absolutely fantastic service. No, that's great service. And it means as well that I've bought multiple cases from there now. I've bought bags, toilet bag, a suit carrier, all from the same brand. But you you could see how someone could take advantage of that and then ruin it for the rest of us. It fits into the whole selfishness that pervades today's society. You kind of really want people just to be a little bit more forward thinking, a little bit more holistic maybe i think with a lot of this kind of stuff you know it's it's easy to to see that short-sighted view but hopefully if the goodwill stores can do it and they can start maybe pushing back a bit on the people who are obviously taking the mickey then ll bean and companies like it will be able to do it it's interesting to look at how companies can kind of keep some of that old world really looking after the customer and standing behind your product in a world where people can just buy 20 used shirts online and then takes them back and try and get full credit. Brings us back to remember when we talked about Nordstrom and that sort of, you know, Nordstrom's that great, here's your one card for uh, your HR sort of rules and regulations. Use good judgment in all situations. And even today, I think their mantra is no customer can leave unhappy. Yeah. And that's what customer service should be about. But people will take the mickey. And I think the problem is more people are taking the mickey. That's the issue we have is more people are taking the mickey because they can get away with it. And I, I think you're right. I think thrift shops, charity shops need to push back a little bit. I think we as a world need to push back a little bit. Yeah. But people brag about this sort of stuff on Twitter or things like that. They say, actually, you know what, man, that's, that's not cool. I suppose that fits into a another story that I sort of saw that good manners and civility in America are on the decline. This was posted in, uh, I think it was Market Watch, it's an online uh, blog. It was just talking about why manners have gone down. And there's a survey saying 74% bemoaned the fact that uh, manners have gone down. Cell phone usage, coarse political discourse, tasteless jokes and bad language. These kind of things have increased drastically. Now, sales of, of greetings cards have fallen by 30%. That whole issue of the lack of understanding what manners is and understanding what good behaviour is has, has declined. Mm-hmm. And we come back to that conversation we had on the special podcast about role models. Yes. And those exemplars of good behaviour. I don't think we have enough of those. I mean, part of it is, I think, you know, manners 
do change and evolve over time. It's right that they should do. At the core of it, it's about making sure that the people you interact with are at ease and are comfortable and that you're being a good member of society and the group that we're all in. It's easy to think because they're changing, they're no longer important. Because something seems awkward because of how fast-paced life is now, that can seem awkward to be excessively courteous. But that doesn't mean that you can't just please and thank you and looking out for other people's welfare and well-being and the state of mind and, and acknowledging when somebody has done something for you or when they've given you a minor courtesy. We still need those things. I think they're universal human requirements. It's not just that's old-fashioned, we can step away from it. I think there's a good difference between manners and etiquette. I think the benchmark of manners haven't changed. Etiquette has changed over the course of the... That's probably a, a better way of putting it, you're right. Manners haven't changed. You know, good manners are universal. And what's really interesting is, having read a number of things about this, is it always seems to be the case that about every uh, every sort of 50 to 75 years, so every two or three generations, there's a huge pushback about manners. The, 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 the younger generation has really, you know, forgotten what manners are. I remember reading a book in uh, about Elizabethan... Uh, times and one of the chats was bemoaning the foul manners of of the youth of the day <laughs> so i think it does go in cyclical things but i think the, the basics of manners yes been the same for a thousand years two thousand years you know we can go back as far as the ancient chinese the, the egyptians the basics of manners have always been there we just need to keep re-educating people that that's what's important our little rant Our wonderful partners, the English Cream Tea Company, deliver a fresh take on tradition. The English Cream Tea Company offers quintessentially British gifts. Choose from the freshly prepared afternoon tea hampers to be hand-delivered right to your door throughout mainland UK, or select from a range of gift vouchers. There are also postable gifts of award-winning chocolate brownies, tea, delicious shortbread, and even cheese-please tuck tins with delicious cheese scones and chutney. After all, the perfect gentleman needs to be able to send the perfect gift, whether it's to say thank you, congratulations, or season's greetings. And the English Cream Tea Company supplies that, complete with your own personalised gift message. Who do you know who would not love the gift of afternoon tea? So go to theenglishcreamtea.com for a charming touch of British indulgence. Let's go to something a little bit more cheerful, if not <laughs> amusing. Lynx is back. Lynx has gone upmarket. <laughs> yes, and that's axe for our American listeners. Yes. Purveyors of over-scented body spray favoured <laughs> by unwashed teenage boys. Yes, yes. Of which I was one, I must admit, for a short while at school. I did have a can of Lynx body spray until my mum mocked me for it. I think it was the incredibly bad adverts. Oh, sexist, yes, yes. Sexist adverts, which were... <laughs> were appalling. Absolutely. Now the, the Lynx stroke acts have gone up market. They've gone all posh, as it were. Men's grooming as opposed to just don't smell like you haven't had a shower today. Yes. They used to have really funky names, didn't they? Like Africa. Yes, I remember that. And Urban and Apollo and Atlantis and all these kind of really male names. Now they're like tobacco and amber. Okay. And iced musk and ginger. Okay, well that actually sounds quite nice. I'm not sure what they'll actually smell like. But it's quite interesting. I'm actually looking at the link at the moment and the design is actually quite pleasing. All black cans with a, a red rectangle sort of fading out towards the bottom and a quite nice typography on there. Oud wood and dark vanilla. That sounds like it could be quite nice. Yeah, and they've got grooming products as well, not just the scents now. They've gone into uh, wax and, and gels and stuff like that. So, you know, if anyone's out there from Link's male grooming 
uh, in the UK. We're happy to accept some uh, products to try and test yeah. so we can reflect on our, our teenage years as well. So. Yeah, we'll give it a go. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can pick some up this evening. Wonderful. More product reviews, maybe, I think. That'd be interesting. Funnily enough, I've got some I could talk about. I did a little bit of shopping last week, so yes. Wonderful. So what else is in the news then, Zach? Carrying on our grooming theme, but something that's very interesting and shows the level of growth in the male grooming market is um, Unilever, the huge multinational consumer goods brand, has purchased male shaving market company Dollar Shave Club, Mm. for about a billion dollars. That's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And they're really basically trying to go head-to-head with Procter & Gamble, the other huge consumer brand company. Basically, Procter & Gamble own Gillette, and Gillette dominates the male, well, in fact, the global shaving market. It's about 60% worldwide, I think. Majority in America, but yeah, it's, it's about 60% worldwide. They are the behemoth, and uh, I think Unilever wants to take them on. I used Gillette, one of their multi-blade things, for... Quite a lot of years, sort of really from when I first started shaving, and I used to switch between that and Wilkinson Sword. I made the switch probably about five or six years ago now to using a double-edged safety razor, mm. just because of the price. Because you can easily spend twenty pounds on a month's worth of razors if you're buying Gillette, even if you go for one of the the cheaper alternatives. It's they're still really expensive. The idea behind Dollar Shave Club is is a good one. I've not used their brand, but I know of the brand. I think they've started selling in the UK recently. I, I must admit, I mean, I buy my my safety razors about five packs at the beginning of the year, and I don't think about it. My primary razor is a double edged safety, yep. and then I have a, a multi blade razor that I like. Sure. I went through a few of them. It's not Gillette, um, but it's another brand, and um, I use them them sort of as well especially when I'm traveling because I've done well, the uh, double blade I tend not to like taking out of my house because <laughs> because the, the handle's so nice double-edged safety razors you can't fly with yes when I'm flying I tend to use a, an electric razor but they don't you don't get a great shave off that and it's not good for your skin so my last lot of blades I got from Thomas Clipper they were very sweet they put a little nice little note in with the blades I don't think they associated me with the show this was just something that they do anyway good blades great price very fast service. But I think that model of having reasonably priced blades sent out to you is a good one. I know a lot of my friends in the US use Harry's who do their own handles and they do blades of a style similar to the Gillette ones, you know, with strips and rubber bits and half a dozen blades and all that kind of thing. Not my cup of tea, but people tend to like them. Guys tend to seem to be caring a bit more about that kind of thing. I see less of my friends talking about stuff like electric razors and more and more barbers doing proper barbershop shaves. So that's all to the good. The rise of male grooming is phenomenal and well-deserved. We're actually taking care of ourselves again. Uh, but I'm a little concerned that Unilever's purchased them because that tends to mean that either they purchase them as with every big company, purchase them to stop them, or they purchase them to uh, take over the brand and push their products through them. Yeah, that is a possibility. I mean, I know Dollar Shave Club themselves, Michael Dubin, I believe, was the founder. And I've read a couple of articles over the past year or so talking about what a good team he'd built and how that was a big factor in their success. And so that could well be what they call an aqua hire. They've built a really solid brand and they've got good products and a great team behind it. That all could be part of it. So we'll see how it shapes out. But I, I think if they do what often happens with big companies where they buy successful smaller companies and then change them and then wonder why they're unsuccessful, Yahoo, looking at you, (laughs) 
you know, that's <laughs> that, that's not a great thing. But that doesn't necessarily have to be the way it goes. No, it doesn't, and it might not. You never can tell. I hope they stay true in Unilever and don't change them too much and continue with Dollar Shave Club and they spread across the world. I did see another article recently on grooming and grooming products that I thought was quite interesting. It was apparently the growth in India of men's grooming. I've spent a fair bit of time in India for work. One of the things I most noticed was how many Indian men have moustaches and the, you know appearance is clearly very important there as it is everywhere. Um, but apparently the beard and moustache grooming and scented shampoos and oils are taking off in India and the business is booming, which is great. Well, as we said before, the male grooming around the world is just really quite phenomenal. You can see it with the explosion of barbershops around the world. And I was reading, I think it was the article, the same article with Truefit and Hill, mm-hmm. the uh, fantastic um, grooming salons for men, um, yes. they have eight outlets in India. Wow. That surprises me because you kind of think of them as a very traditional London brand. Mm. I can see it, though. I mean, I must admit, when I was in India, especially in Chennai, most of the men had moustaches or beards, and they all were very well cared for. And all of the guys had good haircuts, good facial hair, well-groomed, noticeably different to officers I've worked elsewhere in the world, I've got to say, <laughs> which is great. And I think if you've got companies like Truefit and Hill, or there are a lot of Indian companies that do this, they're obviously serving a, a need and a demand. This article I was reading, we're talking about some of the some of the scents they were using, which sound great, actually. Things like cedar wood, clove and sweet lime. I bet that smells brilliant. That sounds fantastic. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a shampoo or it's a beard oil. I'm clean shaven, I don't have a beard. I've done Movember a couple of times, I've used moustache oils. And that must smell awesome. I'm intrigued now, that'd be nice to have a smell of. I might have a little look and see if if I can spot something on eBay or somewhere online that from that company it was um, it just sounds great called the Man Company Our partners Hawes and Curtis are a British brand with more than 100 years of heritage and tailoring in 1913 Ralph Hawes and George Frederick Curtis opened their first store in London's Piccadilly Arcade at the corner of German Street renowned for its resident shirt makers from the beginning Hawes and Curtis attracted famous clientele including the Duke of Windsor Cary Grant and Fred Astaire dapper gentlemen all as a result of Horse and Curtis's commitment to impeccable service and product excellence, the brand has been awarded four royal warrants. Today, Horse and Curtis offers extensive menswear and women's wear collections, providing customers with complete looks for a whole variety of occasions. Please head over to their website, www.horseandcurtis.co.uk. An article that came across my desk, which is just um, almost like I told you so. Uh, uh, it is something we have talked about before a couple of times already, and I think it's going to be a, a constant theme for the Perfect Gentleman podcast and the Perfect Gentleman generally. Uh, as an article in, uh, I think it's Business Insider Australia and the Sydney Morning Herald, um, was the collapse of corporate dress codes makes life more difficult for men. We have said this before on this podcast. We have said this many times, you and I together. Yes. It is so true. It does make it difficult for men, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Absolutely. One of the things you get quite a lot of when you read about hip new companies and chief executives and things, and people talked about this with Steve Jobs and they talk about it with, I think, Elon Musk and Facebook and things like that is, well, I don't have to think about what to wear in the morning. It's you know, the decision's already taken for me. I just put on my, my generic company hoodie and whatever pair of jeans or shorts happen to come to hand. That is an easy choice, but you look like a slob. But also, that's what a dress code, that's what suits date. You have a simple palette of greys, blues, whites, and maybe a second one of 
browns, creams, and yellows for summer. And then you can be sure that when you're, you know, you're bleary eyed, you've just stumbled out the shower at quarter to six in the morning and you've got to rush for your train, that actually I can just grab one from that rack, one from that rack, one from rack, that rack, put them on, and they'll go. It works. And there's a reason that we've done that. As always, we're, di- we're discovering something new, but doing it in a slightly less fun way. Unless it's a client who says, please don't wear a suit, then that's when I wear to work. Um, I feel better. I, I think I look better. It's my personal uniform. Where was I reading an article about... Uh, we've talked about it before. I think it was another article that the better dressed you are, the more money you're likely to earn, the more attractive you are, all that kind of stuff. So there, there's a lot of data to back this up. So um, That old you know. advice to dress for the job you want not the job you have hmm. is true and that normally follows on to a you know a joke about sitting in HR dressed like Batman <laughs> but actually you know it does it does work you know I, I did that early in my career when I worked for Orange the, the telco all of the guys who I was working with were wearing jeans and polo shirts I wore a suit who got asked to step up to do the, the management bit I did those two aren't unrelated does that mean I need to wander around in white tie and tails because I want to be David Niven <laughs> I think you probably should, yes, yes. Although if you could find a job opening to be David Niven, you would be going somewhere. <laughs> if you can find that vacancy, then I'll certainly write you a reference. <laughs> Great. So one of the things we talked about we were going to move on to, which is now is probably a good time to do it, was about sustainable style and thrifting. Part of our August issue of the magazine is all about being a sustainable gentleman uh, across all manners, from style and grooming and uh, romance and all that sort of stuff. So uh, that is the thrust of our August magazine, which will be out on the 11th of September. Lovely listeners. So don't forget to check it out when it comes out. Yes. Yeah, you know a little bit about this, James. I do buy quite a few bits of clothes secondhand or thrifted. It's an American term, but it kind of fits really well. And also, like I talked about earlier with my luggage, I think it's really important to be thoughtful about what you buy and buy from brands and products that support what you do. One of the arguments that I quite often have with colleagues or actually sometimes with my other half is I try to buy quality. First of all, you know, I want something that's going to, if I'm buying clothing or accessories or luggage or whatever it is, I want to buy something which is going to look good and feel good and suit me and all of those sorts of things. So kind of the style is the first thing. But I very much try to buy from brands whose whose values link to mine, often British brands. I like to try and reduce the amount of travel that's been involved in the clothes, just like the concept of food miles. You know, if I think about maybe if I buy a shirt, yeah, so I could go and buy, you know, the choice available to me varies from, you know, sort of several hundred pounds for a handmade bespoke shirt in finest Egyptian sea cotton, all the way through to three pounds from a, a supermarket for something made by probably a child in a third world country locked in a factory. I'm not going to go and buy that three pound shirt. There's no way I'm going to put my money to support that kind of business practice just never going to happen some people don't think about it some people think it's it's less of a concern that's fine personally for me i want to be confident that the people making the clothes and the goods that i use are well treated even if they're not necessarily artists and craftsmen in the uk even if it is somebody working in a, in a factory or china or malaysia i want to make sure that they're being exploited to the minimum possible so that's kind of one of the things i look at hmm. i think it's a good thing i think what's that great cliche buying cheaply is buying twice yes absolutely or poor quality is the bitter taste that remains long after the sweetness of low prices has gone the key pr- pieces of your wardrobe should be the most expensive things Especially if, you know, if you're buying things like... If we take shoes as an example. So I was travelling this week. 
I was in London all week and I took, as, as I usually do for a week like that, I took two pairs of shoes with me because I like to, to alternate. One of the pairs of shoes I took were a pair of Northampton-made brogues that probably, I think I, I paid something like £150 for those, maybe a little bit more, probably about eight years ago, nine years ago now. And they look great. They get polished, I should really say once a week, probably more like once a month. They've been resold once or twice at a cost of, I don't know, about £30 a try, something like that. So maybe the total net cost of those shoes over, call it nine years, is about £270. So we're looking at about £30 a year. So if I was to go out and buy a pair of £30 shoes from a budget shoe seller, they'd have fallen apart probably within six months and they'd look terrible within three, rather than these ones, which are eight, nine years old and still, still look great. I put them on and I think, that's a really nice pair of shoes. Very simple, cherry red brogues. Nothing too flash, nothing to them. But they were made by a craftsman or a woman sat at a desk with some tools and some leather. They'll last me you know, a long time. I know Leah in the magazine is going to talk a little bit about how animal products are not the most sustainable. So things like leather or wool because of the cost and the impact on rearing those animals. And they're completely valid points. If I buy a good pair of leather shoes and I can keep them for 10, 15, 20 years, that's so much better than buying some poor quality synthetic or cheap leather that's been treated in an environmentally unsound way and then buying them for a a bargain price and having them placed every six months to a year it's just crazy so rather than buy five or six pairs of shoes a year or more as some of my friends do what i like to do is buy one a year one every two years and have a good pair of shoes that will last me you know half my life consumer society is driving us to buy all the time so we buy stuff that's disposable there was this point where you know you you wanted things to last you bought things to last and and shoes are a great example of that you spend a good price on a pair of good quality shoes that should last you 20 or 30 years and things like suits if you buy a good quality suit it should last you 15 to 20 maybe even 30 to 40 years it's in one of Bruce Boyer's things where he talks about, you know, the life cycle of a suit where he talks about, you've probably got it 10 years as a best suit, is one you would wear for good meetings and things like that. And then you've got another 10 years where it's a backup suit. It's one you use maybe when you're travelling or when you're just in the office. And then you've probably got about another 20 years where you can use it for doing the gardening. <laughs> that probably is true. I mean, I've talked about this before. I have a, an overcoat, which was my granddad's, an old Crombie overcoat from Dun & Co. And that thing is, is ancient. You know, it's probably 50, 60 years old it looks fantastic it's had the lining changed and the buttons changed that's a proper sturdy wool overcoat which still looks in great condition a lifetime later if you're buying staples as you know i call them the underwears and the socks of the world for the sake of argument sometimes if you can't afford to buy quality expensive items it is sometimes best to buy bulk and, and cheaply for big major ticket items as i call them Buy the best quality you can afford. And it will last you and you'll have a saving in the long run. Exactly. There are brands who do support this. For example, you know, one of my favourite shoe companies is Cheney, just outside Northampton. And they're not at all £300 and up, which is very competitively priced in the handmade shoe 
market, but it's not an easy thing to buy. But if you go to, especially if you go to one of their stores, like um, my friend Mark, who works in the Bow Lane store, and he will show you how to polish them, show you how to care for them, tell you exactly how to look after them. If they need a repair or refurbishment, you take them back to the store, send them to the factory. There's a small charge for it, but it's not much, and they'll take care of it. So one of the, the side effects of that quality and that long-lasting longevity of good staples is that you can pick them up secondhand and still get some good wearable items yes absolutely i tend to find vintage stores i've been to a few times and, and i've been to vintage markets and things like that that i don't know if it's still going there used to be a very good couple of stalls in walthamstow market in london but generally i find the vintage stuff tends to be a little bit more expensive and there's not always so much choice there or what you get is often very bland because it's people who've bought 10 of something where i get really good results are either online auction sites especially ebay it's worth giving another shout out to put this on because they do a subscription service where they do their own searches and they will send you an email every week with the highlights of what they found and i found some absolutely cracking things on there shoes accessories bags especially ties i've got a lot of ties from there (laughs) One of my favourite things to do is in quite well-to-do towns or suburbs of London, pop into their charity shops, especially the traditional older charity shops, and you can find some really good bargains. I got in Ealing in West London a couple of good quality 1970s probably, but still perfectly traditionally styled Brooks Brothers shirts. These are in a level of quality that Brooks don't really do anymore, so they're quite hard to get. They were very cheap. They're in great condition. One of the things with thrifting is it does take time, and it it is worth knowing what it is, the sorts of things that you like, and not just buying something because it's there. But if you can go into these stores and just pop your head in every now and then, you'll sometimes catch just a really good bargain. Things like accessories, suits and things that aren't very heavily worn, ties are really easy if you're lucky you'll find things like shirts or coats luggage all that kind of stuff you can find absolute gems that you wouldn't get anywhere else and very reasonably priced and of course it's reused so it's the ultimate recycling you know somebody's had their use out of it brilliantly sustainable and if it's through a charity shop you're helping a charity at the same time no i like this i think more sustainability more thrifting i think we shall maybe do a little video yeah do a little bit of thrift shopping especially if you know you're in london there are some really really good stores based that way i mean one of my favorites is uh hornets in kensington they've got two stores now i believe they do a lot of things like tweed jackets i think that was kind of their main line originally and they also make some of their own products like they do their own sort of tailcoats and things in, in time for ascot they tend to get some really good sort of formal wear, often things that have been made bespoke from from Savile Row tailors and the like, but they're pretty good at putting the measurements up there, and you can always go down and have a and have a look and the pricing's normally pretty good. We should make a list of those tips and put them in the magazine, I think places to go visit yes if people listening to this know of really good spots to go especially outside of london do let us know because you know it's always good to learn of these secret hidden spots 
Yes, and if anywhere around the world, please let us know and we'll put it up on the website or in the next issue of the magazine. If you drop us an email at enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv, James and I will mention it on probably one of the next podcasts. Or you can drop us a Twitter, an Instagram, Facebook message. We are the P Gentlemen or the P Gentleman on all those social media outlets. Uh, we are happy to speak to you. Absolutely. Always. Please uh, drop us an email, drop us a line. We're always happy to hear from you and we love receiving fan cards as well still smiling about that just mentioned we've had some lovely emails and messages on facebook and twitter and thank you very much for those but actually sending us a little card through the post is just delightful tip top absolutely anyway james i think that wraps us up for today it does i've ranted quite a bit again so it'll be good when you get the next group one and i'll give our poor listeners ears a rest <laughs> we'll see you in a couple of weeks time enjoy your work sir i shall do we shall miss you wholeheartedly in the meantime it's goodbye from me zach faulkner barfield and it's goodbye from me james marwood thanks a lot for listening guys Elliot Rhodes is the foremost belt brand that seeks to make people see belts in a whole new way and to show them that a great belt is imperative to dressing with style and individuality. With four stores, three in London and one in Japan, Elliot Rhodes belts are bespoke and innovative. They create beautiful luxury leather belts and buckles in a wide variety of colours and textures and styles. They suit all tastes. Check them out at elliotrhodes.com. I like the thrifting stuff. There's a sense of satisfaction and joy you get when you find something. And it's like, aha, I've won the game. You know, because I tend to do it, you know, especially when I'm travelling. If I've got a, a half an hour to spare while I'm waiting for a train, I'll just have a, have a quick search online and go and find a charity shop and go and stick my nose in. And you get all sorts of old, of old rubbish in there as well. But every now and then, you know, you go past the, the 1980s, polyester suits and then you find like you know a tweed jacket from the 40s that's it's for 40 pounds you think they clearly don't know what they've got (laughs) i'll have that it's great take that to a tailor an alteration tailor and Mm. get it altered to fit you better yeah really easily really easily especially with good quality clothing like that more common at the time than it is now was there'd be a little bit extra left in the seams so that things could be let out Mm. so even if something is just you know if it's just a smidge too tight you're not sure about it you know if it's it's not too expensive take a take a punt on it go along to your to alterations tailor and see what there is they can how much they can ease it or get it slightly uh, slightly bigger and, and it can be reduced relatively easily as well yeah absolutely all of that but it is just good good fun i just enjoy poking around some of the old some of the old shops. You know, the markets are good fun as well. If you get the, the the vintage markets and the burlesque markets and things that you only have to pay a couple of quid to go in, but they'll have bands on in events and there'll be someone selling tea and sandwiches and it's quite a fun day. Oh, that sounds great. I have a thing for books. I'm a bibliophile and um, I've been going to secondhand and charity shops for books for years. If I see a charity shop that has a book rack, I'm in it. And a pound later or two pounds later, I have three books and I'm a happy bunny. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, stuff that I've not read before or stuff that I'm hunting for because I, at the moment I'm always hunting for copies of um, Leslie Charteris' Saint books. One of the best second-hand bookstores that I, that I know is a charity shop. It's in North Camp, just near Farnborough. It's I can't remember the charity. It's, it's odd because North Camp is an army town and it's a sailors' charity, and Farnborough's miles from the sea. But it's like uh, two charity shops, kind of right next to each other, and one of them is just wholly given over to books. And I found some absolutely fantastic old things in there. And they've just got huge amounts of stock, so well worth checking out if you're in that sort of area. Yeah, I shall definitely take you up on that next time. It's great. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited. 
and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.